saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 287, and we haven't seen this many heads and boxes since Levin. It is your host, Ify Wadiway, and in the booth with me are my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, we have America's favorite critic by my, my, I say it, and I will, <laughs> and I'll fight you on it. It's none other than the Christmas daddy himself, Alonzo Giraldi. What's good? Oh, I'll tell you, Ify, what's good for me is I, I you know, look, I, I came of age in the 1980s, and so I am always and forever going to be a mall person. You know, I know they've Ooh, yeah. fallen out of favor and, you know, the internet and yada, yada, but I just, I love a mall. I still love a mall. And uh, there's this really great new book out called Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. Uh, and uh, architecture critic Alexandra Lang really kind of takes us into the history of, you know, where the where malls came from, how they were designed, how they've evolved over the years, their sort of peaks and valleys, and um, it's fascinating. Like I, I really don't know a ton about architecture, so just reading the this nitty gritty about design and how, like you know, this is where the parking lots have to be, and then the anchor stores and the water treatment in the middle and all stuff. You know, obviously, it is much of the history of malls, like the, much of all American history, steeped in racism. <laughs> Why, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> but it's nonetheless fascinating. And um, they also spent a lot of time talking about two of my favorite malls ever, North Park in Dallas, which is apparently to this day still considered one of the all-time greats. And of course, here in Southern California, South Coast Plaza, which is... At, you know, at the holidays has the tree that is so big that it is decorated with other Christmas trees. Uh, I can't get enough of it. Um, obviously, yes. an indoor mall. You're speaking my Minnesota language. The very first mall was in, I think, Edina. And, uh, uh, yes. of course, the biggest mall is in old Bloomington. Uh, I know from malls. I, I spent a lot of my time <laughs> in, in malls. I worked at the Chi-Chi's right outside of the Maplewood Mall. So I, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, I, yeah. the first one I think was like called, I want to say it's Southgate. I can Southdale. be wrong about that. But yeah, Southdale, yes, in Edina. So it's, yeah, it's, we don't have a lot to be proud of in Minnesota. Ground zero. So, so For sure. The no malls, mall knowledge is right. Yes. Always um, right at the top of my head. And I was just going to say, I love them all because in the worst sentence I'm about to say ever, when I'm charging my Tesla, I like to walk <laughs> around the mall and it takes me back to the days of uh, uh, childhood when we did absolutely nothing. We'd walk loops around the mall. Sometimes you go to Toon Planet to play Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic the Gathering. Or you would like try and get numbers uh, from girls, which in my case was I'd walk real close and then walk back to my friends like she wasn't feeling it uh, and uh, just continue about my date. Uh, <laughs> like you didn't oh even God. talk to her. I just knew. I just knew I had a vibe. She wasn't feeling it. I'm not going to. I'm afraid to talk to girls. The Iffy Chronicles, the early <laughs> yeah, yeah. years. Yes. But you know who I'm not afraid to talk to? The queen of the Midwest and, you know, top dog in all things cinema and film on the indie level. And look, on a major level, too. Super festival programmer and producer, Drea Clark. What's good? It is not like a sense of humility that makes me reject those titles. It's because of how many people get mad because their films don't get into festivals to then be like, you know what? Now I know whose problem that that was. Clark. <laughs> Leave her now alone, you guys. Yeah, it was not me. Um, Just because she's running Sunday, it doesn't mean it's her fault that your film didn't run. I'm going to get fired from Sundance because people are going to be like, um, you keep claiming in public that you're running things. I'm not welcome to Eugene Hernandez, new fest director. Anywho... <laughs> Um, what is good with me is just this week, Slate and NPR had teamed up and created um, what they're calling the New Black Film Canon. And uh, they brought in a bunch of incredible critics and writers and filmmakers, probably, including Robert Daniel, who was recently a guest on our 
whole show to talk about Till. Um, and they put together a list of the sort of 75 best movies by black directors, including where they're streaming so people can check them out. And I think that tends to be one of those things shoved into that exciting and short month of black history each year. But um, it's it's a great thing to look at. The canon in general, all canons, I'd say, um, tend to be rather homogenized. Um, and so pushing out the boundaries of who was making film at any given point and celebrating them, but also, again, giving you ways to see things is very exciting. And it's some beautiful writing about those films as well. So look it up, the new black canon, uh, Co-Venture by Slate and NPR. Did not know about that. We'll check it out. Oh my gosh. What? I Maybe I am in charge of all film. <gasps> Introducing <laughs> things to Alonzo? Oh my gosh. Yeah, see what? See? Yes. It's good to be the boss. Well, you know who else is a boss? Uh, writer and co-host of that other movie review show, Maximum Fun, The Flop House, Dan McCoy. What's oh, nice. good? Woo! The big oh, fancy hello. show. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to recommend uh, a little indie website you may not have heard of called YouTube, and I'm going to say <laughs> why it's been sort of a revelation to me lately, because, you know, I am in my mid-40s now, and so my relationship to YouTube was kind of like, you know, I grew up with television. I loved television, and I loved the movies, and I, I love watching movies on television, and all of that stuff, and I was a latchkey kid for the most part, so I watched a lot of it, and I didn't understand sort of younger people's love of YouTube because my experience as a casual user would be like in the early days of YouTube, that's where everyone uploaded like their family video or, you know, your bad comedy sketch. <laughs> and now like I get sort of filtered to me often the worst of YouTube where it's like, we're going to unbox a thing because that's what gets engagement. And we're going to, you know, I don't know, put it on and maybe it's, revealing i don't know what what they whatever they do on will on, also on, be white supremacists you know? yes and, and yes then they will also radicalize you in some way so i had these like ideas of it and then i realized that for me the great use of it is that obviously i knew that people would upload a bunch of old stuff that maybe they didn't have the rights to you know but i thought that like in my head i'm like oh well you know I can find some things, but probably not that much. But there's so much of the world that is in this legal gray area of the rights holders not caring about it at all. <laughs> and so no one's going to take it down. And as an older person watching YouTube, I finally found my YouTube, which is the YouTube of watching old television that has been archived for the world. Like it's become the greatest Solid. museum of media and, uh, you know, so my only problem is, at, you know, I'm new to it. So my algorithm is leaning heavily in a couple of like specific areas just because that happens to be some of the first things I was watching a lot. Like, like I watched one old country buffet training video for a long <laughs> enough time that now I'm getting all of the old training videos and they're all entertaining. So sure. I'm only reinforcing this rabbit hole, but I would like some other stuff to show up in my feet. But there's, you know, I, anyway, I just like how you can find, you know, blocks of four hours of 80s, uh, you know, Saturday morning television with car with commercials and whatnot. Or yeah, there's nothing like finding a thing that you saw once when you were six and you aren't sure if you dreamt it or not. Yes. And then, no, no, there it is. There really was uh, uh, an animated cartoon featuring a bunch of uh, newspaper strip characters like High and <laughs> Lois that aired once on ABC, you know. That's right. Um, Rubik the Amazing Cube is not something I imagined. There was a <laughs> Rubik's Cube E.T. ripoff wow. <laughs> cartoon. Yeah, d d on over at LKTV, Dave and I are currently diving through the Night of 100 Stars TV special <laughs> yeah. from 1982. Oh, which man. Uh, 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 it boggles the mind that it, like uh, we're just going to parade a bunch of people around and like keep a running tally at the bottom of the screen of how many celebrities <laughs> we've shown you. you know? Yeah, and why don't stars have circuses anymore? <laughs> the, why can't the modern network stars do, 
do circuses. Why, uh, why aren't they battling, for that matter? Yeah. yeah. More battling, more circuses. Speaking of, I- Iffy, what's good? Oh, man, what's good with me? Well, <laughs> what isn't good? Well, the most thing, <laughs> as you know, we've been, uh, you know, doused. Uh, with rain and uh, yet again my office did get flooded and I kind of cleaned it up a bit and it still was pretty flooded I kept putting it off because this was also my birthday weekend this is the first time you're hearing me as a 35 year old uh, MFers uh, you know this is you, you're hearing the voice of a 35 year old I, I could sense the timbre was yeah. different oh yeah you know just, a, just a different flavor yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know I kept putting it off because it was my birthday weekend and I was like, I'm, I'm going to deal with that. And so I come down here to clean, you know, up all the water and all this stuff. And I open the door and all the water's gone. It evaporated or went into the floors. And you know what? That is future Iffy's problem. And so now current Iffy <laughs> gets to go in his office while it's dry and enjoy it. And I got to say, it's a good day. This is the good day that Ice Cube was talking about it. Nice. We'll talk about his son in a little bit. Yes. Uh, yeah, you did that. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so we're having some wild times on Blood Mountain, home of the cocaine bear. And then we're going back to the Hall of Excellence. But first, it's time for Ididic, our movie news segment where we go through the week's movie news and decide as a group if it's important and if we care. Andrea is kicking this thing off. I sure am. Everything Everywhere cleaned up at the SAG Awards last weekend. The movie won Best Actress for Michelle Yeoh, Best Supporting Actor for Ki Hui Kwan, Best Supporting Actress for Jamie Lee Curtis, and Best Ensemble in a Motion Picture. The Oscars are coming up in a few short weeks, and a lot of people see the SAG Awards as a bellwether for the Academy Awards. Is this important? Do you care? I mean, I would be bummed if I were one of these awards-giving bodies that was every move was reduced to, well, how does this affect the Oscars? Yeah, right? <laughs> how does this affect the next award show down the road that we really care about? Uh, but if you do care about how this is going to affect the Oscars, it would appear to be affecting them a lot because the actors branch of the Academy, I want to say, is still the largest one. It is. And so so that is why, the, the, the hence the bellwether status. Uh, so yeah, I would imagine that this much of a of a stomp for, for everything everywhere is a very good sign for their Oscar chances and bully for them. It was my, my number two film of last year. And, um, and, you know, getting to hear from James Hong is always a treat. Uh, you know, when, when somebody gets up at a, at an August kind of, you know, gathering like this of, and, 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 and this opens his speech with, yeah, my first film was with Clark Gable. The room <laughs> gets quiet and yeah. wants to hear more. And so, you know, that was a great moment. His speech is online. You should see it. It's the only part of the SAG awards that I did see. Um, I do love this. Like, like Alonzo said, the, the, uh, actors represent the largest, um, voting body within the, uh, Academy Awards who vote for best picture and, uh, everything everywhere also recently kind of not hugely surprisingly, but won the producers guild award, which has the same directors rank system and the directors, which isn't the same rank system, but anyway, it will not hurt you in your Oscar balloting. If you're playing a game against a bunch of people, well, it will hurt you if everybody puts it. But if some reason all these people <laughs> are sticking by the Fablemans, boo, um, uh, you can sweep <laughs> pretty good. So, wow, wow, yeah. I'll sneak that in when I can. You don't hate that movie. <laughs> well, that's I think the fun thing, right? Is when you're going through your Oscar picks, right? And you're like, this is what I want to win. Yeah. This is what I think will win. Uh, and you know what? I'm hoping we, you know, we, we break the barriers this year. And, you know, if that means we'll have to get a Fableman's, I heard that it, I read that incorrectly, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> uh, let it be. Yeah. Give an old white dude the, the envelope and let's see what happens again. Um, but, uh, <laughs> shout out to that actor. <laughs> you know, Warren Beatty. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Clinton story factor. Yeah. Wow. Look, look. See, that was my still trying to figure things out moment. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> Star of that recent TCM Dick Tracy special that we're still trying to figure <laughs> out. What oh right. my gosh, on. I keep forgetting about it and remembering it. it like this, this is going to be the real life version of the snap. Uh, <laughs> like we're going to snap back into it five years from now and realize <laughs> that the Dick Tracy movie was made. But yeah, no, I'm super excited. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be at sea, so I'm not going to be able to be at any... Uh, you know what you can watch? In a boat or just free-floating? He's doing uh, yeah, a cruise. I'm doing the Joko cruise. He's yeah. doing a whole cruise. What you can watch is the Spirit Awards on March 4th, which will be available streaming on YouTube, on Twitter, on IMDb. Just saying, I've only well. worked on it the last seven months. You guys could just watch it. I know. I bet everything. Oh, you're, everybody you're, you're, you're will, uh, also do I will okay. be on a plane to Fort Fort Lauderdale that night, okay, but fine. I will try and see if you can send me an early copy, uh, <laughs> or so I can download. Let me know who's going to win. I know you got it. Dre has the, all the envelopes. <laughs> So yeah, if you're listening to this episode when it drops, you know, get get over to Freebie, I guess, is where it's all happening, and check it out. <laughs> oh. That reminds me, when I was uh, the first time I was ever, uh, this is going to sound like such an insufferable story. Now I just realized, but the first time I was just nominated uh, for an Emmy was for the it was at the Creative Arts Emmys. It was not on the, the show. Yeah, the, the the one that no one sees, uh, and Schroeder's I was Emmy. like. I was wondering whether, you know, any of my family could see it anywhere, and that was how I discovered the existence of a network called Reels with a Z, mm. which was the place that you, you one could, in fact, look up the Creative Arts Emmys if one was struck by madness. Reels, it's probably in your cable package. Yeah, I yeah. would yeah. start most of my sentences with, when I was nominated for my first Emmy... <laughs> So no one, no judgment here. Yeah, I'm a you know I'm a free agent. TV shows, <laughs> look out for me. Check available. Yes. Drop, us, drop us a line. We'll forward it along. Yes, indeed. <laughs> look, and that's how I'm transitioning into this. Warner Brothers announced last week that they are returning to Middle Earth. In order to do so, they had to strike a deal with the Swedish video game company. <laughs> Embracer Group, who owned the film rights to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit. It doesn't sound like they are remaking the successful 2000s trilogy, but rather creating stories from other parts of Tolkien's books. Is this important? Do you care? I feel like we should add another question to be answered, which is, does this surprise you? Because is any Was of us surprised inevitable? by the... Exactly. <laughs> inevitable. Oh, do they have access to a supremely internationally recognizable IP? Are they going to milk it until this planet finally turns to crumbly dust? They sure are. Who owns the Silmarillion? Do, do, do you own oh, it a lot I'm, of yeah, I'm, I don't even own a copy of the Silmarillion, much less the I, film rights. So. Because isn't like the... Have they ever... That's the all that's left. They did an little, animated yeah. one of that. Did they do a thing? Oh, yeah, that like, one I feel like that's the thing to mine. Ago. Yeah. That one they did animate. I don't know. Like They're like, oh, we're going to create stories from other parts of his books or other books. I'm like, what? Uh, right. This is, like, I would make a Tom Bombadil joke, but I feel like that's Elliot's, you know, uh, uh, purview <laughs> and I don't want to butt in. Uh, I, this is one of those rare ones where I can say I don't care Good. because Good. I watched the first of the Lord of the Rings movies and it bored the snot out of me, and I never went back. So I've never seen two and three, much less The Hobbit or any of the follow-up stuff. Really? So yeah, not not interested. I watched that whole trilogy mm. and loved it. It was my family's movie. Like we watched it all together every Christmas for three years. I'm like every year for well, for the three times that it came out. Mm -hmm. But I had zero interest. I had forgotten that they made this enormously expensive like limited series recently or it's not even limited i think they're going into season two yeah. like yeah. it was like oh, 10 wow. million dollars an episode and i'm like yeah i i not only did not see it i don't know anyone who saw it which as you guys know i don't know anybody who saw avatar 2 either which was apparently the whole <laughs> world so don't take no, my, is the my age words of, with a grain of salt this is the age of tv shows with huge stars that you just never knew happened and yeah. There was that whole SNL sketch about that, you know. It's like, you know, it's that one where uh, Julia Roberts plays uh, Martha Mitchell uh, opposite Sean Penn. Uh, really, that's a show. I got nothing, you know. 
Yeah, no, I that's where I am with it. I, I mean, it was very obvious that you know someone was eventually going to look at Disney Plus milking Star Wars and and Marvel for what it's worth. And look, I, I get it. I drink some of the milk. You know, I, I put some of it in my cereal. I crunch it up. You know, I take the milkshake. I drink it all up. But yeah, it, in a world like where Star Wars makes sense to me because there was so much of the expanded universe books and all that stuff. So it feels like within the culture of the book to create. And George Lucas is also still alive to be like, yeah, sure. Keep sending me bags of money. Marvel is a medium that is this ever expansive growing, you know, catalog as comics do, you know, till this day, there's a Spider-Man comic. Tolkien finished his books, you know, like, <laughs> like, like he put down the pen. He, he was like, this story is done. So I don't see like, you know, I just truly, even though this argument can be made for every franchise, they threw the ring I, in the volcano. What more yeah, do you want? Yeah, exactly. I don't see a need to continue this. I get why you're doing it. I get why the other corporations see all the money this other corporation's going, but I don't think I don't think it's going to be as fruitful as you think because it's done and everything outside of that is going to start feeling contrived sooner or later because like I said the other two examples that you're basing this move off of kind of created these worlds that can keep growing and I think Middle Earth is a deep world but I did play Lord of the Rings online and it was like oh this does feel like a rehashing of the the stories that have already been told I don't feel like there's a new story being told with me as the main character so if they couldn't do it as an MMO I'm very excited to see you know the attempts that will be made uh, with what I'm excited for is when Ify starts auditioning for this and asks us to pull this episode He's oh, gonna be like, definitely you guys, do you, did I, did I talk not, smack not, about, can we, what? can well, we here's the thing. built in all these expansion here's, packs. Here's so, why I get know. to be like so perfectly spicy in uh, our uh, <laughs> itadicts is because that's not in the title. If somebody wants to know my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, they can't Google Lord of the Rings <laughs> in, in Max Fun. You're not going to find this. I can, you know, I can, you I can let it out. You have to do a deep dive. Good. Uh yeah, You'll and, and I'd feel like I'd feel like I'd need to at least get like a Kim test before I'm like, yo, uh, Marissa, put it down for a second, and then after <laughs> I book it, put it back up. <laughs> well, speaking of beating a dead horse, um, on the day we're recording, the third Ant Man has just wrapped its second weekend. Box office for the film dropped sixty nine percent from its opening weekend from 105 million to 32 million making it the biggest second weekend drop in MCU history and pretty much coming right in at the second weekend drop of Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman is this important do you care I mean I, I it it does seem like they're reaching some sort of critical mass of uh you know Marvel movies not not just being the thing that people talk about being tired of but are actually tired of because you know <laughs> as people were saying that they kept going to him and i mean i'm saying this as someone who has basically still liked everything like even this movie which i think was the weakest one i've seen in quite some time i basically enjoyed i was just mad at the way it looked like, like the <laughs> fact that they shot it you know on the volume as they did like so extensively made it look like the most expensive green screen movie with michael douglas like standing on something that's supposed to be flying just sort of like balancing his arms like uh, you know like and none, none of the actors movements bore any relationship to one another like the stuff that marvel used to be good at which is like this basically like looking good is even like it, it, at least competently good in terms of the effects even if it all has the same like weird muddy color grading like that stuff is now falling apart under like this last ant-man movie had to service like five or six main characters and it's an ant-man movie like it's kind I, of odd yeah i thought quantumania was fun but i also get the overall sense of franchise fatigue that seems to be setting in and i think yeah. what i think the problem is that you know again it's like we were saying with with the tolkien stuff the you know infinity war endgame was such a great capper to the first however many phases that was that it felt like okay, we're, we're done here, right? Like, we, we can all go home and be proud of ourselves. And then it's like, oh, no, no, we have all these other 
characters that you sort of, you know, that we're going to, they're all getting promoted now and they're, they're going to be the center of their own adventures. And I think that's been easier for them to keep hope alive on television. Like the Disney Plus shows, I think, are these cool little dollops of different characters and different stories and stuff. And they're like, they wrap them up and they move on to the next thing. And I think as far as like the movies are not feeling like the events that they were because there's just so dang many of them and because everything since Endgame just kind of feels like kind of an afterthought. Even when they've introduced cool stuff like, you know, Shang-Chi or whatever, it just it doesn't have that sort of same universe building that they were so good at for so long. Ditto. <laughs> I think on that note, <laughs> we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to do some cocaine bear. If you have trouble falling asleep, try sleeping with celebrities. Tell me about your view of, of succulents. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan. It's a different kind of sleep podcast. There are some real benefits to parking illegally. Featuring remarkable guests and unremarkable topics. There's two Orlando airports. From the creator of Depression Mode with John Moe, it's Sleeping with Celebrities. Every week on Maximum Fun. Nighty night, sleepyheads. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ifiwadi Way. In the studio with me are Drea Clark, Dan McCoy, Alonzo Duraldi. Today's movie is based on a true story. In the sense that one time, in 1985, lots of cocaine was lost in the woods, and at least one bear seems to have consumed quite a bit of it. So, Alonzo, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of Cocaine Bear? Sure. So, yes, the real Cocaine Bear basically stuffed his stomach with cocaine and dropped dead the end. And so that was really not enough for them to make a movie out of. So, Cocaine Bear posits the idea that the bear is alive, but really, really wanting more cocaine. And uh, prepared to uh, eat or maul or whatever any foolish human being who gets between the bear and more cocaine. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's 1985, which allows them some fun uh, needle drops and wardrobe choices and a distinguished cast, including uh, Margo Martindale and Alden Ehrenreich and the late Ray Liotta and uh, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. and O'Shea Jackson Jr. and um, Carrie, Carrie Russell. Russell. Um, do or do not become Bear Chum. And uh, it's hilarious and it's frightening and i had a blast cocaine bear yes um you know we're gonna talk about cocaine bear but there's one tiny little thing i wanted to talk about before we jump into this uh alonzo uh you wrote the review on the rap for cocaine bear and that is going to be your last review for a while yes yes are we talking about this? Uh, yes. Like, did, did you want to? I want to. You I, know, uh, yes, it is. Uh, I am uh, leaving the rap and I'm going to spend the next couple of months finishing my next book. And then after that, you know, watch this space. Yeah. Nice. Watch this space. Uh, you know, and uh, I'll keep prodding uh, Alonso <laughs> in future episodes and we'll see if we can get a little bit early. But uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to I shout that what, out. What better note to go out on than cocaine? Beer? <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, this is, uh, we'd say a horror comedy, uh, and, and, uh, Marissa in, in the notes states, was it more horror or more comedy? And I'd say it's more comedy. I wouldn't even call it a horror comedy. I'd call it like a comedy with a lot of gore. Like there's no point in this movie where you're afraid, but you are maybe wincing or like, I screamed more than once. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And usually well, while also laughing. Let the brave person uh, be the <laughs> dictate for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did a lot of squirming, a lot of cringing, and uh, more than a little screaming, uh, And but all the while also laughing. And I think those are yeah. two tricky tones to, to get at the same time. And uh, kudos to uh, Elizabeth Banks, who I'll say it again, 2019's Charlie's Angels, 
very underrated uh, movie. Underrated. Des- deserves oh, yeah. another look, I think, from the people who dismissed it the first time around. I think she does a very good job of, of making making those two things happen at the same time. Oh, 100%. They're definitely screams, but I would say that they are uh, amusement park screams. Let's say that it's that kind Fair. of horror yeah. movie, if you're, if you're going to classify it as that. I was, des- <laughs> I was describing it as a cross between Grizzly and Burn After Reading. Yeah, Ooh. it is. <laughs> It is a lot grislier and gorier than I think maybe some people who are drawn into the theater just by the neon glow of the title uh, <laughs> might expect. You know, I really respect that this is, you know, a movie that has, you know, s- you know stars and marketing behind it and is also just a little more <laughs> gross than oh, yeah. you would see normally. It's and certainly... It's it's got a real, um, it's both absurdist, but it has that very gory B-movie kind of splatter element. There's an entire set piece in this, the ambulance sequence. Yes. It is freaking beautiful. And by beautiful, I mean horrific. Yes. But it is so well-paced, like there's urgency and threat but it is nonstop hilarious. Like every absurd, ridiculous moment also involves like an enormous amount of blood. <laughs> like it is, yes. but it's so well crafted. It's a great action beat. It's a great comedy beat. It's, it's its own thing. And it's also such a rare movie. Like you're saying that all the things that came together, the idea of having this level of talent or even the budget that they had to like pull off those things. There's yeah. some beautiful yeah. Like blood work done that you're like oh they like built a whole prosthetic or oh there's a hole in that man's that young man's face is off or whatever but that it's the bear itself is a product of Weta technology exactly and that it's bright sunlight that's the other element of it it's not you know you think horror and you're like oh it's nighttime. Or I am in um, the cave in Barbarian. Like, it's it's one of the... <laughs> this is all bright sunlight, mm, clean, fresh air. National and just Park. <laughs> bloody nonsense. Yeah. Well, it's, it's bright sunlight except for, I will say, so the ambulance chase is by far the high point of the movie. And unfortunately, it comes, you know, maybe two-thirds of the way through. And I feel like my beef with cocaine bear is that i feel like the last act is not very good and it is shot in this like sort of day for night some sort of like treatment they've done like everything looks sort of just like blue and i wonder almost whether it's like reshoots they're like we needed a we need more of an action climax to this movie that at heart is a little weirder and and i mean they're behind a waterfall that's being lit by the moon so i was sort of giving them like a pass for what yeah what it was supposed to look like and i feel like it goes slack at a certain point even though i did enjoy it quite a bit and left and it reminded me of uh the piranha released as piranha 3d like in the same sort of like we're going to get a real cast for this. We're going to have like Elizabeth Shue and Christopher Lloyd and Ving Rhames and Adam Scott. And they're going to be in this movie that is about like piranhas eating Jerry O'Connell's severed penis. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who can forget a very similar vibe. (laughs) I, I didn't have a problem with the aesthetics of the third act. For me, it was more, Oh, because one of the things that stands out, this is a total ensemble film. There's like three different narratives going concurrently. So you're following this Carrie Russell mother as she's looking for her kid who's playing hooky and disappeared into the woods with her precocious friend. Yes, from Florida Project. And then you're following... Uh, Ray Liotta's thugs and then Ray Liotta who are looking for these bags of cocaine. You're following a cop. You're like, there's all these different story elements. And it was like at the end, they're like, well, everyone who's still alive has to have things resolve (laughs) in an emotional beat. And I think that was the part that was a little like uh, wedged feeling. It's the last bracket. Yeah. 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 I will say this. If if you liked, if uh, I'm a big fan of Ray Liotta's demise in Hannibal, uh, uh-huh. And I think this is up there in the pantheon of great Ray Liotta demises. <laughs> I kind of felt the the same way as uh, 
kind of like a combined Alonzo Dreo, where like I was able to kind of let the landing stick because it was like, yeah, we've uh, in improv terms, we've we've you know heightened to the max. We've got all the good kills, but we also you know had these through line stories to keep this story going. So let's wrap it up and of course do the group scene where they all come together. And so it was just a fun uh, kind of cute ending to see this mom and and uh, you know um, O'Shea who really killed it this whole movie i really like seeing what he's doing he's he's really expanding uh that more than being just ice cube's son even though he does look like ice cube uh who if anyone refers to him as the actor she's too young uh but yeah like like i really like the ending i like the moonlight showdown i like the jump and i i feel like pacing wise is where a lot of people might be turned off because you kind of get this like final demise and then you're kind of wrapping up and everyone's just kind of leaving like it's almost unceremonious in a way where it's like <laughs> all right <laughs> let's the ending leave the force. is very yeah it's the very end of like american wet hot summer oh we're all going home now i think they yeah. could have k- killed off a few more people I mean, yeah. but that's part uh, of it, right? Always. You also, she she did have an earnest attempt at building um, empathy for these characters, including the bear. There's a point at the yeah. end where I was like, oh, this poor mother, can someone help this mother bear real quick? And then the bear's just been like <laughs> high and demolishing people. Um, it was when that... It, you know, early on, they set a precedent of, oh, yeah, you're going to watch Jesse Tyler Ferguson's body fall in pieces from a tree or something. Like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're going to lose. Your Chris beloved Wick. television friend is right? now dead. <laughs> like, all of, these, um, uh, all of these great character bees are just uh, hilariously dispassed. Which, so to end it with sort of sentimentality and... Uh, like, sure, I get that. I get wanting that for the dismount. But I'd hate to only talk about maybe not sticking the landing when I do think so much before that is really fun. Margot Martindale, oh, yeah. get out of oh, here. Oh, my God. I love her so I, I mean, much. And she does so much with so little. Like, her putting on... Like, have you ever seen anyone more aggressively put on lipstick? That you were like, oh, I know what's <laughs> happening. I know what she is yeah. doing. She, I, 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 I'm such a, cl- a, a fan of Margot Martindale and have been for ages. But like, just watching her in this, I thought she is having the best time because yes. this is a role that nobody ever offers her. Nope. You know, and so like she goes through so much. Her stunt double goes through even more. Uh, <laughs> but I just kept thinking like. It, it's just just the glee of somebody who gets handed all like these really heavy dramas and these really sort of like intense kind of dying moms or whatever it is that you know that people come up with remarkable Martin deal. Nobody ever says, uh, you know who'd be great as the the horny park ranger. Let's get Margot <laughs> Martindale, and she just plays every inch of it. Well, that, and she plays. I mean, like the thing about this is, you know, there's a way that you play this with a a bit of a heightened like wink in your eye that this is like we're in a comedy but for the most part this whole movie is like people playing straight very ridiculous situations and it's so much the better for it like no no one's going like yeah insane camp here right it's a lot of leslie nielsen's yeah yeah, the other, I mean, and some of the, the characters are genuinely like stupid, but like yeah, they yeah, just play them big, in a broad but, way. Yeah, but there, yeah. yeah, that's a good differentiation. I'll say too, there's a lot of fun, including Margot Martindale, and she's probably the best example of it. But I think you get so much in this kind of film, particularly when you are casting out of type. Like this film starts with the whole sequence of these two hikers. Um, that are that are like in the woods and on a honeymoon or something, and one of them, I was like. Oh my God! It's Tormund from Game of Thrones, who's like the big <laughs> orange-haired, yeah, mad, uh, horny Viking, too. right? Like he's just like this rock of muscle and lust. <laughs> and in this movie, he's goofy as hell. I was like, wait, he's he's goofy and he's being he's the prey, dorky Euro hiker, right? Like they don't you, that guy doesn't get that script either, or. The other thing I was grateful for when they introduced, like, we see Margot Martindale, she's horny for someone who's going to arrive soon, and then it arrives, and it's 
Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, Lord, please don't let the hook of this be that this man is clearly homosexual and she's just like being an idiot woman. It is not that. Like, that would have been such an easy one-off joke. Like, that, that he's just swishing and we're all like, oh, this dumb lady. And instead, you're like, no, she's a dumb lady for whole different reasons. Bravo to you. I love... It is sad that I will applaud when people don't take the easiest uh, lane, but thank you for ignoring that easy lane, Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> yeah, and I don't look. I really enjoyed this. I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm the doubter in in, in this group. Uh, when on my own show, I'm often the one that everyone accuses of having two lacks of a, a love, you know, like a critical sense. I love a lot of stuff. I really enjoyed this. I, I had everyone was whooping in the theater and also like you know i have a lot of nerd movie nerd friends and we go to a lot of movie nerd screenings together and at like you know the, like i was i saw this at the nighthawk prospect park here in brooklyn and the audience like uh, my wife audrey actually pointed this out to me from their reactions to the trailers trailers that we as frequent moviegoers had seen many times beforehand had all the joy sucked out of them for us like they're reacting big to this and i think that cocaine bear is like bringing in people it was a packed theater it's bringing in people who aren't going to the movies and like i've heard like people be kind of snide about it and i'm like well why like it's a new piece of of like it's not like based on pre-existing ip this is like a horror comedy that someone's put some care into why are you being snotty about this it's people are obviously yeah. responding to it this movie doesn't think it's cool you don't need to be cool about it yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, people being shitty about it just sight unseen just it, it gets on my nerves but I, I do kind of like the idea that you know to go back to the interdict with quantum mania kind of underperforming the notion that people want to leave their house to see something mm-hmm. just kind of goofy and interesting and and you know that 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 lives up to this sort of loony concept i mean megan i think was kind of the same thing where it yeah. was just like bananas you know idea for a horror movie and people were like yes please more of that you know uh, and to a lesser extent violent night i mean like these are all universal titles like i think somebody in their head office is like okay what if we just throw out these like take our craziest pitches and then make like what would be the ideal version of that pitch if it became a movie and put them in the yeah movies, you know yeah, no. Some someone there is realizing, like, oh, people are bored with the other stuff. Like, bring <laughs> me the, bring me the too crazy pile. <laughs> exactly. I do yeah. like choosing because I don't see almost anything in the theaters anymore because, you know, the panty. But this one was one where, try as I might, the the theater I found was mostly full. And it was such a delight. Like every time that everybody laughed or, you know, I was with a bunch of scared screamers like you fellas. So there would be a whole like, oh, like that's exactly how I assume you guys yell. Oh, Um, but there's something really fun about that. I think there's certainly is this movie breaking new ground? Absolutely not. And there's such a great precedent of absurdist things, like even Dan mentioning Piranha 3D, but like this goes back to decades. The, the like, maybe not uh, an actual cocaine bear, but the idea of spectacle and absurdity and comedy and blah, like those are all such baseline things that pull people in. Um, I really want to. So I want to hear what you guys have to say about this question that Marissa put in here, because I did not see this. I'm not online a lot. Does the movie glorify cocaine use, as some people on Twitter <laughs> would suggest? I it, <laughs> I think it does, but only for bears. And I'll tell you <laughs> what it is. Because, like, so there's, like, one, there's one uh, sound cue in this movie that I kind of couldn't abide and one that I wish was there and they're related because like there's one part where like the bear's being showered with uh, cocaine and someone says it's like Christmas or cocaine Christmas and then they have jingle bells on the soundtrack and I'm like okay cocaine bear you didn't need to juice that too far it wasn't that good a joke in the first place we don't need the jingle bells but I would have loved it. On the other hand, there's a point late in the movie, spoiler alert, where Cocaine Bear needs to get revived, and he does it, 
you know, with his old friend Cocaine, and I would have loved a little Popeye. Because I do feel like at that point it is glorifying cocaine use. Like, this is what's going to give it the power. I, I, I do love the fact that they threw in, like, the anti-drug PSAs of the moment. The, this yes. is your brain on drugs. And yeah. Nancy Reagan and stuff. No, I don't think it glorifies cocaine use. Uh, I, You know, it, if anything, I think it just, it, it's... It is the catalyst for making what would already be a terrifying situation even more terrifying. <laughs> you know, it's like just encountering a bear in the woods would all, always be scary, even if like black bears, apparently you fight back and they run away or whatever. Um, but, you know, the idea of like, okay, bear, what would make bear scarier? Steak bear? No, no. I got it. Cocaine yeah. bear. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. I feel like the only person having a good time uh, doing cocaine in this movie is the bear. Uh, so uh, because of that, that's just I, I think I, I think this is just another thing in connection to being like, why is the why is why are people going to see this movie? Uh, but it reminds me of this post that was going around that was like. These movie duds are seem to be doing well in the theaters while the blockbusters fail. And someone's like, oh, you mean diverse options in movie theaters like it's <laughs> supposed to have been is more successful than only making blockbusters? And it goes back to something I said last year where I was like, yeah, blockbusters used to be a thing that was like a summer event and you waited for it. And this a cocaine bear is another thing that feels like a summer movie. But there's time for like enough movies and i'm sorry that you know your you know short film about a guy recounting his thoughts about why his ex-girlfriend dumped him even though he was perfect for her in voiceover while he stares at this great shot that you really mastered in film school and drea denied that from being you know showcased at sundance and now any movie that you feel is dumber than the movie you made shouldn't exist because that's what i feel anytime i see film twitter gets mad at like a specific thing because i'm like anyone who's like worked on any type of goofy shit like this, you're like, it's fun. We, no one's, you know, no one's walking around busting out method acting. We're like, let's make a fun, dumb movie and we're going to be fun and dumb making it. And the thing is making a fun, dumb movie is really hard yes. like, and making any movie fun, whether it's a smart movie or a dumb movie, it's really difficult. Like you, you have these, you can have a premise and that premise can get stale after 20 minutes. You know, you can have stars, you can have mayhem, but like, you've got to put all those pieces together in the right way to make this, this, thing that audiences really enjoy and that builds and you know gives you moments to breathe and all that stuff and so it's like yeah this movie is is intentionally you know front-loaded idiotic but it is a (laughs) piece of craftsmanship to be this solidly entertaining for its entire running time yeah, I mean, but I so these hyper self-serious folks who like truly do try and dunk on comedy as a comedian, I always say try it. There's a reason why a lot of people aren't good at making comedies. There's a reason why comedians are really good at doing horror because it's a specific talent that requires an understanding of timing and pacing and uh the proof is in the pudding. Get off of our asses. <laughs> Uh, You know, Dan, you already know this, but I'm going to repeat this just in case this is the first time someone, you know, maybe the Dan gang, maybe the flop family pulls up and this is their first episode. The way we rate things on this pod is screen it is the highest, stream it being the mid-level, skip it being self-explanatory. Who wants to start out off? I'm a screen it if you hear the words cocaine bear and you're like, I'd like to see that. If, if you're like, that sounds dumb, don't go to Cocaine Bear. But if you are like, Cocaine Bear, hmm, then yeah, go see it. It is fun. I also forgot to mention it has my favorite thing in that there's a young child who swears a lot. Everybody knows since Good Boys, uh, Quickest <laughs> Way to My Heart is a it's youth yeah. swearing and talking about his <laughs> drug use. Funny for days. Um, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is also in it and oh, should get a shout yes. because oh, he yeah. was killing me to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I like a movie with children in peril also. That's a big plus that we get here for sure. I would say also screen it because, look, this is a movie that is best served by seeing in a full theater mm. 
I understand still being uncomfortable with that idea. If you're uncomfortable with that idea, maybe, you know, wait and get all of your cocaine bear fan friends that you're in a pod with together and watch it together. But, like, see it with people. Um, and there's this idea that the only movies that are going to get people out to theater are these movies that are a uh, big spectacle. And I think that that's true. People have that thinking to some degree that with like great TVs at home, they'll stay at home for other stuff. But the two genres that are best served by seeing a theater are horror and comedy. If you've got a good big TV, you can enjoy an action film at home, but you're going to laugh a lot more and jump a lot higher in the theater. So I say, Screen it. It's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I'm also a screen it, and for, for all the reasons Dan said, if you had a great time watching Barbarian in a full theater, if you had a great time watching Megan in a full theater, you will have a great time watching Cocaine Bear in a full theater. Yeah, no, I, my, my answer is yes to all of the above. You know, if you like fun and you're able to go into a movie that's fun and, uh, you know, just enjoy it, Go see Cocaine Bear if you're super serious and you and you and you think it makes you look cool. Uh, you know you're and you want to you know drop your your fave deep cut movies to look cool on film Twitter. Maybe skip this one and never talk to me. Uh, you know, uh, like that's that's my vote. Uh, but you know we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. <laughs> never talk. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me? Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ifiwadi Way. In the studio with me are Alonso Duralde, Dan McCoy, Drea Clark. And once again, we are stepping into the lobby of the Hall of Excellence and flashing our membership cards at the front desk. This week's topic best movie animal. There are no real rules here, but who wants to dive in and claim a cinematic creature as their nominee? I know exactly who I want to nominate. Okay, go for it. Like I've dreamt of it. Like it, like it's all I've wanted in the world was for this question to come my way. This is a new, another new character similar to the old Cocaine Bear, Rakakuni from Everything Everywhere <laughs> All at Once. Ooh, it nice, is. Nice. There is an interesting backstory to it in that it is this like immigrant woman's inability to remember how to say ratatouille. And so she becomes convinced that it's a raccoon and it's raccoon cooney. I still can't say it. And then it becomes Rack-a-cooney. like. A, thank you, raccoon And then it becomes like a pivotal emotional moment with a little physical comedy to it. It's great. It's quirky. It got to sit on Harry Shum Jr. And who wouldn't like to do that? Raccoon cooey. That's mine. Raccoon Nope. <laughs> I'll never say it right. <laughs> and you know who wouldn't care? No. Rakakuni. Rakakuni would yeah. not De-cooning. care. Right. <laughs> Willem de Kooning. Um, okay, everybody, when you saw in the show notes that we were doing this, you already knew what I was going to pick. And I'm going to pick it, and we're just going to we're gonna carry on with our lives. But Paddington, of course! Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You know, that's going to be hard. That's the one to beat, honestly. I mean, come on. He's nice yeah. and polite and makes everything all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, this one was hard for me because I was trying to figure out oh, if it's in the vein of animal, like in the cocaine bear, like I'm meant to believe they're an actual animal, then I was mm. so. was trying to stay away because, like, the talking. 
cat in um, Kiki's talk- delivery. A talking cat. Yeah. Some, right? <laughs> I love in a talking cat too. But in like Kiki's, yes. In absolutely. Kiki's, I love that. It's a black cat. I have black cat. But I was trying, whatever. But I, I support you. Paddington. Like, how do you go wrong with Paddington? In all I'm categories. I'm going to go. <laughs> <How> <laughs> for you, your consideration. Any. Uh, certainly if you want marmalade around, I, hmm. uh, if that's a category, uh, I'm going to go with the shark from Jaws. You guys went cuddly. Bruce. I'm going to go in sure. terms of, yeah, some, some impact here. Uh, mm. you know, quite a shark able to, you know, dive with a lot of barrels, uh, able to track down the surviving members of Chief Brody's family <laughs> after being exploded. <laughs> For generations. In, in a Caribbean island. <laughs> and uh, Michael Caine. Quite a shark. Mm. That's, uh, that'll be my pick. That's a shark that would love some cocaine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Asylum is making cocaine shark as we speak. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I'm coming in. Uh, you know, I knew that patenting was going to be the one to beat. It's going to be very hard to, you know, go toe-to-toe with that just regularly. So, you know, I'm going to go on the nostalgia play, which Jaws is a nice nostalgia play, but I'm going even deeper because based on, you know, what a lot of the MFers have said, you know, in the hotlines and all and and in on the Facebook group, I think this is going to hit with some of y'all. So I'm going for Beethoven. Beethoven the dog. That is my pick. That big (laughs) dog. That dog had a lock. On dogs, when people they didn't call it, you know, the the shepherd's dog, or they're like, oh, that's a Beethoven, that's a Beethoven. I want a Beethoven, so I'm gonna say Beethoven. So that that you know, if, if there's one that I think can step to Paddington, it was the Paddington of the '90s, Beethoven. The Paddington of the '90s, man. I think Air Bud was the Paddington of the '90s, but you know, potato, potato. Yeah, mm. I like I like a good hooch. Sure. Yeah, but none I, of those I, had Charles Grodin and Beethoven did, so I support. Yeah, I feel, that. I feel like Air Bud. Um, you know, it's 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 on the uh, Die Hard Christmas movie level of irony, where it's like, yeah, that's just a two. It's too. It's too. It's the. It's the fruit is low, and it's not even hanging. So we got to go higher, and I'm going Beethoven. Can we give a, Can Fair we enough. just give a small honorable mention to the adorable kitten that plays Keanu in Keanu? Just so I I get a cat mentioned in here somewhere. Uh, I was recently referencing, uh, I think in Mocking My Husband, the kitten in Babe 2 Pig in the City, who's always saying, Mm. I'm so hungry. And puss, Antonio Banderas' puss in Puss in Boots. Mm -hmm. And of course, adorable kitten McCavity. Adorable. He's broken every human law, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Well, now it's your turn. Head on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash maximum film and vote in the poll. That Marissa will create that has no write ins in it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, no write ins. Allegedly. Uh, (laughs) We'll see. We'll see if y'all can hold true. Uh, but now it's time for our staff picks. It could be any movie out of all. Who's going to kick this off? I was thinking about movies that make me laugh and scream at the same time. And w- probably one of my favorites in this uh, uh, specific subgenre uh, would be Robert Zemeckis' Death Becomes Her. Oh. Um, which is brutally funny. And I think like a- a- time has established it as one of the great sort of Hollywood satires, but the physical horror, the body horror, if you will, of this movie is off the charts and um, leads not only to just like the sort of morbid thing where, where, you know, uh, uh, eternally youthful people have to switch from plastic surgery to straight up like mortuary science in terms of, you know, taping themselves back together and using spray paint on their their skin. Uh, but it also includes a brilliantly hilarious emergency room sequence where Sidney Pollack plays a doctor who can't believe what he's seeing. Um, 
If you've never seen it, it's uh, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn as like uh, bitter rivals uh, uh, fighting over a very nebbishy Bruce Willis. And uh, they are clued in by uh, a, a rather mysterious Isabella Rossellini in a way, uh, as a, in a method that will keep them young and beautiful. But of course, they never read the fine print. But they do get a warning late, so what are you going to do? Anyway, it's available for rental. Uh, Death Becomes Her. A perfect movie. Yes. I didn't have anything coming in settled in my mind. I had some thoughts, but you have inspired me. Uh, this Robert Zemeckis uh, movie with uh, thrills and chills and, and laughs uh, mixed with earlier talk of the Lord of the Rings movies leads me to recommend The Frighteners, directed by Peter Jackson, produced by Robert Zemeckis. Uh <sighs> What a what a movie! A movie that um, <laughs> so M- Michael J. Fox basically playing a Ghostbuster if a Ghostbuster was a grifter in league with the ghosts, uh, and then like an actual psychic who can see ghosts, but uh, you know who runs the scam, and then you know gets involved with an actual dangerous ghost, um, and it's a movie that doesn't make. There's like a lot of narrative cul-de-sacs and loose ends. If you think about it too hard afterwards, it doesn't really. But like Peter Jackson already ha- had showed so such a virtuosity. If you saw his earlier movies where he's making, you know, more with even less, it's <laughs> it's not surprising that once he got a budget, it looked beautiful. And this movie flopped. It, I think they had a lot of confidence in it, and then maybe messed around with the release date without remembering that it needs advertising too. But. Uh, I remember walking out of it being like, everyone's going to love this. And then it was like a huge flop. But it was, it, it was, you know, flopped him right to the bank in the sense that it was a proof of concept that he could do the Lord of the Rings movies uh, in New Zealand with his effects guys. But it's just funny and scary. And it's the first time I saw Jeffrey Combs in something, which led me backwards <laughs> to Reanimator and uh, Stuart, uh, my friend Stuart's favorite film, of course, Castle Freak. <laughs> But uh, that's my recommendation. Ooh. I was going to go with a new release that had nothing to do with this genre, but now I just feel we need to keep going with this genre. So please go check out Tremors from 1990. Oh, man. Uh. Tremors is so good. Mm. Kevin Bacon at his peak Kevin Baconiest. Freaking Reba <laughs> McIntyre's in this. Fred Ward, never not a babe. Um, it is, yeah, underground creatures, people defending them. It has a similar many people in a small town kind of energy. Yeah. Tremors. I did it. Variations on a theme. Well, um, speaking of the theme, um, producer Marissa here uh, unprecedentedly uh, barging in to the staff pick section because as soon as I saw the trailer for Cocaine Bear, which, you know, was a hot trailer around the web, I thought of a film very dear to my heart from 2017. If you're into the idea of cocaine and bears and uh, frolicking in the woods, you got to watch this movie. It is called Bear With Us. It is a film directed by my good friend and also the director of The Mirror Game, the movie I wrote, William J. Stribling, co-written by Will and our friend Russ, um, and starring... Uh, Christy Carlson Romano of Even Stevens fame and um, Mark Jude Sullivan, um, an amazing actor, and um, Cheyenne Jackson's in it. It is a farce. It is a horror comedy. It is a weird movie, and you can watch it on Prime or Tubi. It's on Tubi, folks. So check it out. Bear with us. It's a pun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I get it. My mind is going to be another guest star um, staff pick, which was uh, Emmy when we were walking out of Cocaine Bear uh, said, uh, uh, have you seen The Gray? You need to see The Gray. Uh, This movie reminded me of The Gray. And I was like, oh, I remember The Gray, but I didn't see it. She's like, oh, it's Liam Neeson's versus Wolves. That's just the movie. And I was like, okay. She was like, I feel like the people who made this saw the gray and uh, it, it stuck with them. And then they're like, what if we made the gray but funny? And so, uh, <laughs> uh, and I was like, all right, well, then I'm going to say that for my staff. Pick. That's hilarious. 
Yeah. So. I'd like to warn prospective uh, viewers of the gray, though, that it's, it's more of a Liam Neeson being chased by wolves <laughs> with the promise of the wolves maybe eventually attacking him. It's also <laughs> that, that, that grief hangs down upon like a heavy blanket, just so you yeah. know. Yeah. Slightly tonally different than, you know. Amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No. Um, good times. Good times. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Uh, big thanks to Dan McCoy. Yay! Where can people hear more of you? Thank you. Uh, on the Max Fun Network, under the name The Flop House, which is the name of the podcast I am on, you can find me with my uh, friends and co hosts, Elliot Kalen and Stuart Wellington. Elliot, a longtime TV writer such as myself, and Stuart, a, a funny bartender. <laughs> by now loves the podcasting life <laughs> he, yeah he is he is the most yeah shine the shine the light on me baby podcaster and i love it i love it <laughs> I, I adore the fact that iffy and Stuart share a birthday because yeah. they are both like big warhammer nerds who live in the gym so yeah y'all are like the east coast west coast versions of each other as far as well, i'm concerned I, and I often hear Stuart being like, "Yeah, I was texting Iffy about weightlifting." <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll yeah, start as a, you do, as you do. Yeah. You know, hit my line, Dan, if you ever want to want to know how you blast those glutes, because I'll get those mm-hmm. glutes blasted. Oh, um, you need the blasted. <laughs> this okay. is a family <laughs> show. <laughs> well, Dre and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. Uh, speaking of family, my pod family right here. Uh, you know, just uh, ready to keep it going. Uh, <laughs> you want to get ready for next week's film? You can watch EO, which is streaming on the Criterion Channel. And if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. And our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film. Or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxpart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, a.k.a. Swish Dog. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported